You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is... Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 388 of this podcast. It is May 11th, 2022. Today, new inflation numbers are expected to be released. That will be fun, you can be sure. I know that last month's were the highest in 40 years, so these will probably be higher. We'll just (laughs) assume the worst hope for the best, and uh, be pleasantly surprised if they're better than 8.5%. Because uh, that's atrocious. That's it really is uh, a kind of theft. Uh, communism, you know, raise the minimum wage, print money like it's going out of style, uh, because it probably is actually going out of style, uh, cashless society and all that. Then devalue everyone's savings. Uh, Yes, you're devaluing uh, our debt as well, but if you're devaluing our ability to pay the debt back while at the same time driving up the cost of literally everything, uh, you're kind of of robbing us, uh, to be quite honest. If you're staying flat wages-wise over the past several years, uh, you're going backwards significantly now due to inflation. So good job, America electing or otherwise allowing Joe Biden to be president and the Dems to be in charge, all because uh, your precious fifis were hurt by the bad orange man. Great job. Well done. Hope you're happy now. Uh, I, for one, am not particularly thrilled with the state of the economy. And it really is an important thing. It's an important feature of our national life together that we would put people in decision-making positions who are going to make wise decisions and not crash the economy. We don't all need to be millionaires and billionaires in order for the person who is in uh, the seat of power or in the seats of power, in the halls of power, whether we're talking about the legislative, executive, or judicial branch, uh, in order for them to be doing a good job, just please keep it steady, right? The markets like stability. And at the end of the day, the markets matter to me because my family matters to me. So I want to see stable markets. I don't want to see us printing money uh, into oblivion. Don't want to see inflation that makes it very difficult for me to buy the things that my family needs. Uh, But here we are. And so we trust the good Lord. You can go back to yesterday's episode to hear more about inflation, what we know so far, what I've been figuring out as I've been trying to do the math and calculate cost of living adjustments what they would have to be, given the fact that my wages have been flat since September of uh, 2019, with a very, very small, very slight uh, exception from last summer where I got one whole dollar. Everybody got one whole dollar. We all got one dollar raises. And quite frankly, given uh, the state of the industry and how the company was doing and how we were told We should orient our expectations to get raises based on performance. Uh, $1 raises were kind of insulting, uh, just a little bit. Not even 
holding position, not even staying flat in terms of my purchasing power when it's going to be like that. So in any event, that's not what I want to talk about in this episode. I'm going to try and let it go, focus on something else that is uh, a tad bit uh, more, oh, I guess fresh. (laughs) I don't know if it's necessarily... uh, the happiest of topics, but I guess it depends on who you are. Um, We're going to talk about how Target, the uh, box store chain, is getting ahead of things for Pride Month. Next month is Pride Month in the U.S. Uh, It wasn't enough for us to affirm and acknowledge uh, sexual deviance, homosexuality, transgenderism, etc. Now we've got to have a whole month dedicated to celebrating it, which is just absurd, which is just insane. Uh, But we will talk here in a little bit about what it is that Target is doing and also what would be perhaps maybe uh, a good way to think of such things. How can we think about such things rightly They're going to be in our face uh, about it for as long as they think that it is somehow profitable or can even be just barely supported uh, with us not being able to go somewhere else. So if it's going to be in our face, I think we need to figure out what to make of it and how to think rightly about it. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a book I just finished up yesterday the second book I've finished for the month of May. I am 29 books in so far for the year. I just read Joel P. Trachtman's The Tools of Argument, How the Best Lawyers Think, Argue, and Win. And first off, the publisher's summary, found at both goodreads.com and audible.com. I listened to it on audiobook. And I quote, Joel Trachtman's book presents in plain and lucid terms, the powerful tools of argument that have been honed through the ages in the discipline of law. If you are a law student or new lawyer, a business professional, or a government official, this book will boost your analytical thinking, your foundational legal knowledge, and your confidence as you win arguments for your clients, your organizations, or yourself. For more information, go to toolsofargument.com. So it's not a long book. Uh, The publisher's summary is just a quick paragraph, very succinct, very to the point. The title of the book is self-explanatory. This is a book about how lawyers reason and think and argue to win cases. It's helpful, I think, in part because our day and age, modern American society, is filled with contracts, terms of service agreements that you have to sign, and then you get emails and you get texts and you get letters in the mail saying, we've updated our terms of service agreement, and here are the updated terms, and just so you know, here is our uh, covering our butts, and uh, we told you so. And nobody reads them, or very, very, very few people read them. Uh, I can't imagine how much time in the course of a year somebody who endeavored to read every single terms of service agreement uh, would have to spend to do so, especially when they're being updated regularly with the passage of new laws, with the enactment of new policies, a change in strategy, 
et cetera, et cetera. But we all get these contracts thrown at us. Even when it comes to a work policy, let's say you are an employee and the company puts you through some HR training, some annual required training. And here are our policies. Or you just got hired on and they are going to put you through orientation and they say this is our expectation. We expect that you abide by these rules, these policies. Here's the procedure. Follow this and it will go well with you. Deviate from this and you're going to be in trouble. Well, if you're able to think clearly on the front end and as you go, be able to refer back to things specifically, it can really help you. It can protect you, for one, from you know being frivolously uh, harassed, which does happen. You know, I've been working for over half my life now. I had a part-time job in high school, and then I've been working full, full-time plus overtime when, whenever possible uh, in three states, you know, first Ohio, then Montana, uh, actually four, I suppose you could say, uh, first Ohio, then Montana, then North Dakota, and now Colorado. Uh, but yeah, my working life has been filled with some who ignore uh, the company's policy as they are telling you, you know, what's what, uh, because they don't expect you to give any reference to uh, your job description or you know what the the offer was that uh, you hired on under or you know what the actual rules are they just kind of make stuff up as they go arbitrarily and sometimes you have to be able to call bluffs that's just that's all there is to it if you want to protect yourself if you don't want to protect yourself just go with it uh, whatever it is they want to do with you uh, they will do but I wouldn't advise that there's some really really unscrupulous uh, bad people and you you don't want to just let them do whatever they will with you because what they will do with you is bad uh, it's bad for you it's bad for the people that uh, are your co-workers it's bad for the public the general public if you're a husband and father it can be very bad and take a real heavy toll on your wife and your children so it pays to pay attention it pays to be able to refer back to the specific precise wording and to be able to reason in an analytical systematic way uh, and to be able to articulate your points clearly cogently and directly you don't have to be rude you don't have to be mean uh, you know I think for a lot of people uh, they would probably look at a book like this and say well I don't like lawyers I think they're awful I don't want to think like a lawyer because I don't like the way lawyers think uh, that's fine Okay, that's that's fine, and I get it. Uh, but one of the things, let's say we're Christians and we want to keep ourselves pure and be sincere and genuine and above board, as we ought to, uh, we still actually we have not just the freedom to we have uh, active encouragement and maybe even you could say a command from our Lord and Savior in the form of what He tells His disciples when He sends them out. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Speaking for myself, (laughs) speaking for myself, uh, I've encountered the wolves in sheep's clothes. I've encountered 
the serpents uh, who are, you know, in human form, you, you want to be prepared before you're in a situation with one. Uh, you want to be able to anticipate what their moves might be and how they're acting and how they're maneuvering, how they're thinking about, uh, you know, whether you look like easy pickings or whether somebody else, it might not, might not even always be you. It might be someone else that is easy pickings to them. And if you're able to spot the scheme and the way that they're trying to set someone up or take advantage of them or abuse them or harass them, uh, you can do good. Uh, I'll just, uh, I'll put it that way and say that's sufficient. But, uh, you know, I think as far as quality of book, this was a good book. It wasn't very long. Uh, I do think it's helpful uh, for those of us who are just not just terribly shrewd, not very naturally cunning. Uh, you know, we typically want to be giving everyone the benefit of the doubt and we don't want to be, you know, constantly suspecting everybody of everything. You know, that's fine. That's, that's fine. That's good that you, you know, want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But as Ronald Reagan once said, trust but verify. Uh, you can trust people, but you should definitely trust people in light of human nature, given the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world, given the fact that we are promised persecution, given the fact that we're supposed to guard our hearts, for from them flow the wellsprings of life. Guard your hearts. Don't, as we read through Proverbs, don't listen to the wicked when they try to encourage you and entice you to join in with them in doing some evil, wicked thing. Don't be enticed by immorality and ungodliness and wickedness and evil. Well, part of how you can protect yourself against such is being able to spot the hook uh, when something is being put in front of you that actually turns out to be bait. Spot the hook. Uh, I would recommend this book for anybody, whether you're naturally analytical or you're not. It's very accessible, very simple, very clearly reasoned. Here are different ways that uh, arguments might be structured based on certain situations, based on certain goals, whether you're the defense or you're the uh, prosecuting uh, attorney. You know, here are different ways that arguments and counterarguments might flow back and forth and back and forth. And so can you spot you know, a move or two ahead where things are going based on how somebody's posturing right now? Uh, good book. Check it out. I'm glad that I did. I might actually... Try to find some additional books of this nature because who knows uh, where we're headed. We know that our country is very divided. We also know that Democrats uh, are likely to get increasingly shrill. They might not be able to use the courts like they have in an activist fashion for most of my life, uh, given the fact that we've got a Supreme Court that is signaling uh, unintentionally, but nevertheless, through some leaker, that they are prepared to overturn Roe versus Wade. It was a bad decision in the first place. It's not the first time the Supreme Court has overturned a previous decision. A Supreme Court that is willing to overturn Roe v. Wade uh, along the principles that are to be found in this draft opinion, explaining why, uh, that same Supreme Court is probably also going to be relied on to have a more faithful originalist interpretation of every other law and the Constitution. And so that's a that's a good thing, but we shouldn't let our guards down. We should understand how to think and reason uh, 
especially with the crazy woke business, you have activists in corporations, in general uh, public settings, in all kinds of relationships, and you should learn how to think in such a way that you can be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, protect yourself, protect your family, protect uh, the people that you know. But moving on from that, enough said about the tools of argument, how the best lawyers think, argue, and win by Joel P. Trachtman. I don't quite know how to intro. <laughs> the main thing we're going to talk about in this episode, how, <clears throat> how, how do I... Uh, how do I put this? Hmm. Well, uh, uh, <clears throat> here's what we'll do. I'll start with reading you the headline from The Daily Wire by Amanda Harding from May 9th. That is two days ago. Chest binders and packing underwear featured in Target's new Pride Month collection. How about that? How, how's that for an intro? Uh... Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll use that as a jumping off point. Um, first of all, for any of you who have children present, uh, particularly uh, you know homeschool families, more conservative, uh, if you don't want them to hear me talking about chest binders and other such related uh topics, uh, you might just pause, continue this episode later, uh, or else have the children leave the room. If you don't want them to hear this, uh, I'm not going to be like extremely graphic. I just, it's the nature of the subject and I, I want to be clear, uh, but I also want to be considerate that not everybody, uh, is quite so candid with their Children, uh, some of us are far more protective and don't want such things being talked about in front of their children. So proceed if you will, but just saying. Uh, chest binders. <clears throat> so what is a chest binder? Well, to put it simply, uh, a chest binder is a piece of clothing designed to mask the fact that a woman or young woman, uh, has breasts. Put simply, we, we don't want it to be known that she has breasts. Uh, and especially given the context, this being Pride Month, the reason is because transgenderism, because the increasing androgenization of the American youth and the American public is proceeding apace. We don't want, you know, in the case of a, I don't even remember how I'm supposed to say it, whether it's transgender woman or transgender man, if it's a biological woman who's trying to identify or wants to identify or wants to present themselves as non-gender, non-binary, whatever. Whatever category you want to put it in, whatever we call that, a biological woman who is rejecting her God-given gender, wanting to portray herself outside of uh, the norm, is covering up her breasts or flattening them in such a way that she can mask the fact that she's a woman. 
just a you know a couple just real high level observations here. One, women have breasts. Some men have breasts as well, but that's usually due to uh, unhealthy diet and lack of exercise. But women, as a rule, have breasts. They are the female of the species, and that's how God made them. And there's nothing wrong or dirty or untoward or awful. Uh, quite frankly, I think it's wonderful. Um, but that that's what it is. Women have breasts. And men, as a rule, don't. Women, as a rule, do. Men, as a rule, don't. I, for one, and I'm, I'm not saying this uh, to be coy uh, or to be juvenile, but it, I, I actually do think that it needs to be said. I think that it is great that women have breasts. And I don't believe that it is so good that women would uh, wear chest binders, however young or old they are. I don't believe it's so good that they would wear chest binders to androgenize themselves to make themselves look more like men by looking flat-chested intentionally. I don't think that's so good. I don't think it's healthy, for one, uh, from a physical standpoint. I don't think that it's healthy, for two, from an emotional, mental standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, from an emotional health standpoint, from a spiritual health standpoint. I definitely don't believe that it's healthy. I, I, just, I just don't. You cannot, you cannot tell me that God gave women breasts and did not give men, as a rule, breasts because God wanted women to wear chest binders and look just like men. Just, no. And, and really, too, like, what's next, right? Because that's not the only significant difference between men and women anatomically and just in terms of a silhouette against a sunset even with a chest binder on, women typically have wider hips and a different general shape. Now, the fact that so many of us uh, here in America are overweight, again, that muddies the waters. A morbidly obese man and a morbidly obese woman might, except for a difference in their hair, be fairly indistinguishable from one another. But a healthy, in good shape, like healthy, not underweight, not overweight, healthy weight, man and woman will have a different general body shape. Women have wider and more curvaceous hips. And obviously, unless they're wearing a chest binder, they have a uh, protuberance or two. <laughs> Men, meanwhile, typically have consequently, narrower hips, and they might have a broader chest and broader shoulders, but they typically, as a rule, do not have protuberances, protuberi. I don't know. I don't know what the plural would be properly. But I, I really, I don't, you know, like I, <clears throat> I'll back up here just, just briefly. I was raised in a very conservative Christian home. And I'm not apologizing for that. I'm not embarrassed about that. I may not necessarily hold to every single one of the most conservative ideas that I was raised with. But on the, on the whole, 
I believe that it was a good, helpful, godly, praiseworthy thing that I was raised in a conservative home. Well, one of the things about being raised in the conservative home that I was was that you know my dad having been raised Mennonite, my mom having been raised in Pensacola, Florida area, going to Pensacola Christian, then when she graduated, going to Bob Jones University, and then moving on from there to Cedarville University in Ohio. My parents had a very uh, definite idea about modesty and what was modest attire. Uh, now, I even just say that word, and it reminds me to make mention of something I want to come back to later, but modesty in the scriptures is not first and foremost a question of whether we can make out the shape of your body through your clothes. Uh, it's not first and foremost a question of what percentage of your body's overall surface area, <laughs> skin, uh, is visible. Yes, those things may be included in a definition of modesty, but that is not all there is to it. In fact, I wouldn't even say that that is first and foremost what modesty is about. Consider 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 10. Paul said, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay? Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, Christianity today says it's clear that women must dress modestly and decently. Okay, thank you. You just repeated it. You didn't tell us what that means. But they continue. Women must not take pride in wearing jewelry and accessories, but instead take pride with the good deeds they have done. Now, what this I don't believe means is you can't wear jewelry, but it's a question of kind of like you know the difference between, like we talked about in the episode yesterday, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says that money answers everything on the one hand, and on the other hand, 1 Timothy, where Paul says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's also the difference in, let's say, James 4, 13 to 15, between saying boastfully, here's our plan. We're going to move to this city or this town. We're going to live there for a year. We're going to trade and make a profit on the one hand, and on the other hand saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. When I was younger, I thought meant you don't plan. You don't plan. You just plan that God is going to figure everything out for you, and you just take it entirely as it comes. No plans. Plans are bad because you might brag about your plans. Well, what if we approach money that way? We say, well, I, don't, I just don't want any money. I don't want to have money because if I have money, then I might love it. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The same is true here. It's not whether, it's how. It's not whether women have any freedom as Christians to braid their hair. It's not whether they have any freedom to wear a gold ring, like a wedding ring, for instance. For example, if we wanted to be very, very uh, strict, very legalistic here. This is also another reason why uh, I'll put in another plug for the tools of argument, this book I just read. If we wanted to be very, very strict in interpreting this, we could say, 
I don't even think women should wear a gold ring if they're married. What about pearls? It says not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Can you wear a pearl earring when you're going out to celebrate your anniversary? Is that okay? Also, when it says expensive clothes, what is the price limit? None is set. None is set because the point is not how much. The point is whether you are trying to attract everyone's attention to you and get them to worship you, little girl, young woman, young lady, whether you're trying to get them to worship you with your hair all done, did, done up, jewelry, and a killer dress, the latest fashion, the latest design from this you know famous dressmaker, whatever. But what does Paul say instead? He says, with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, cool. Dress modestly with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Well, I sure hope you're dressing in more than just good deeds, right? Dress modestly with decency and propriety. So what is propriety? Well, it's probably going to depend to some extent on your setting. There are limits, but to some extent, it's probably going to depend on the circumstance and cultural cues, quite frankly. What is considered proper in this place, in this company, in this context? What is considered decent? And it, and this is difficult. This is a difficult thing to answer in our context, in our setting. A hundred years ago, there were more definite ideas of what did and did not pass for modesty. Were those ideas correct? Were they excessively strict and severe? I mean, this, is a, this is a genuine question. I'm not trying to just be uh, devil's advocate here, argue semantics, but Victorian standards of modesty, I kid you not, included having such long tablecloths that not even the legs of the table would be seen because such might incite a man to think of the legs of a woman. You know, by contrast, the opposite end of the spectrum would be the uh, lamp that Pops gets Pa, Dad, the father in uh, A Christmas Story, the lamp that he wins, the big prize that he wins for doing the crossword puzzle. Uh, it, you know, it's this leg, right, with fishnets. And uh, what is it? I think they call it electric sex or something like that in the movie. And then, of course, the mom accidentally knocks it over and it shatters. <laughs> Oops. Uh, not accidentally, by the way, but you know, there too, I mean, like, that's a good example. You know, he displays it prominently in the biggest window in front of their house so that the whole neighborhood can gather around and see this prize. And it really is kind of beside the point that the lamp was shaped like a woman's leg. It could be shaped like really anything. And the question of modesty, I think that Paul's getting at here has more to do with, are you trying to draw attention in a self-promoting, vainglorious, conceited, and uh, selfishly ambitious way? That's, that's more the point. But we, <laughs> we, we, really need, we really need to think 
carefully about not falling off on the one hand uh, and saying anything goes, you know, well, God knows my heart. You know, only (laughs) like, like the meme I saw, I think my cousin Brent Brent sent it to me uh, years ago. It could be somebody else. He would have, if he didn't, I might've sent it to him, honestly. But it's, you know, it's a a two-panel meme. And the one panel is this young woman wearing a very tight and uh, figure-flaunting dress. And her hair is all done up, and she's got makeup and jewelry, and she, you know, she's, she's very pleased with her appearance. And so she's taking a selfie in the mirror, and the caption under her, is like in quotes, only God can judge me. And then the other panel is above that, and it's like a Michelangelo Renaissance era painting of God looking down from heaven saying, you're a whore. Uh, you know, like we don't, <laughs> we, we don't want, uh, we don't want to say however we act is a totally separate piece from what is in our hearts because that's not biblical, actually. Jesus says that we are to judge trees by their fruit, whether they are a good tree or they're a bad tree. What kind of fruit are they bearing? Are are they being selfish and mean and wicked? Are they trying to tempt and entice others to sin? Are they trying to promote themselves as an object of worship? And men can do that, women can do that. It takes different forms, depending on whether you're a man or a woman. But, but we, we, you know, we don't want that. We, we don't want, like, for instance, uh, you know, with my daughter, I don't want to say, and, and this is actually a, a major part of why my wife took up uh, clothes making, actually, and, and sewing. She enjoys just the process of it, and she's creative. She's an artsy type. Uh, so that, that's part of it as well. But, you know, as our daughter has grown older... You know, you just like any any of you who don't have daughters and have never tried to shop for clothes for your daughter, you wouldn't believe how skimpy and and how revealing a lot of even young girls' clothes are that you would try to buy in a, in a typical uh, clothing store or clothing department. And so my wife's looking at that and she's just like, you know, like we don't all need to wear a little house on the prairie dresses that go down to our ankles for sure but also too like maybe the short shorts are not appropriate on a seven-year-old girl an eight-year-old girl like maybe that's not necessary and also why like why is this the fashion and so my wife makes clothes and they are pretty and they are elegant and they're colorful and they're attractive and they're pleasant and they're feminine uh, and I think that they can be all those things, but even those, however much they cover, if those are intended to draw attention uh, in an untoward way, in, in a selfish ambition sort of a way, in a vain, glorious sort of a way, those actually can be immodest however much skin they cover. And for that matter, uh, if a if some young woman of the species doesn't have a mother who makes clothes for her and she doesn't know any better, she doesn't 
have any like she wasn't raised by a dad who was himself raised Mennonite. Uh, he, she wasn't raised by a mom who went to Pensacola Christian and Bob Jones and Cedarville University. You know, she just she knows what the fashion is in her neighborhood, and she dresses appropriately. She doesn't dress the way that the sluttiest girls in town do. She just dresses in the normal fashion, and it happens to be shorter dresses and shorter shorts than what our daughter wears, but she's not trying to draw attention to herself. Actually, she's she's trying to dress in the latest fashions precisely because she doesn't want to draw attention to herself, but she's not trying to be immoral. Like I, I think that that can be still in keeping with this question of what is modest dress. But, you know, we don't want to fall off the tightrope, if you will, on the one hand, to where we say modesty is this cudgel which we're going to go after attractive girls and women with and cause them to feel just awful about themselves, right? As if for them to be beautiful or to dress in a feminine way or to dress in anything that's even remotely the fashion is immodest. We don't... I, I can't believe that that's what we want to do and that that's appropriate and that's necessary looking at the scriptures. I also really don't believe on the other end of the spectrum that anything goes. And when I say that I don't believe that anything goes, that includes just like letting it all hang out 100% in a way that is intentionally scandalous. Like the free the nipple movement you know, here here's what I think. As a, as a father, <laughs> as a as a father of eight, who has delivered uh, all of our children, and half of them I delivered at home with my wife, not at the hospital, but even the half that we had at the hospital, like I caught and cut the umbilical cords, and so I I, I am familiar with the process, and yes. Uh, also, too, subsequent or after birth, uh, having eight children, my wife has nursed all of our children. You know, insofar as you have some people in society, in American society, who have so sexualized the female breast that they can't even bear for a, you know, poor choice of words perhaps, but. They, they can't even tolerate a young mother nursing her child off to the side, out of the way, not trying to be in the middle of everybody, but just like, hey, like we are in a public place and we brought the baby and the baby needs to nurse and there's nowhere else for me to go. The baby's hungry and if we don't nurse now, then it's going to be screaming and crying. And we're going to have to leave, but we're not quite ready to leave yet, you know. If she's covered and she's trying to be considerate of people, but even her being covered and people just knowing that she's nursing a baby right now off to the side and out of the way, if we can't get it out of our minds that that's somehow sexual or that that is indecent exposure, you know, that's, that's where I think there needs to be a moderating uh, influence that I, I don't hear anybody else necessarily articulating aside from what several years ago, I don't even know if they're doing it still or trying to 
push this, but what was the free the nipple movement? So, you know, in, in, in the case of nursing mothers who are trying to be considerate and they're not trying to be scandalous and they're not trying to be, you know, flaunting themselves, uh, which I, th- I think is probably the vast majority of them, if, if they're, you know, hey, I'm going to use this receiving blanket and just like try and cover up and be modest, I, I think that the free the nipple movement has a point, quite honestly. Now, besides that, do I think that women marching up and down the street, bare-chested to try and prove that they are equal to men? Do I think that that's appropriate, that that's a good godly character uh, that they're demonstrating, that they're displaying? Uh, no, I don't. And, and not because of what skin is showing and what skin is not showing. You, you, you uh, get dropped. You know, imagine you, you get parachuted into some Amazonian tribe's village or some African tribe's village or some Polynesian tribe's village where the women go around topless all the time. That's just, that's their culture. Are they trying to be scandalous? Are they trying to make everyone uncomfortable? No, this is just, they don't know any different. And it's, I would argue, innocent. Uh, They're not, they're not being the way that the free the nipple gals are being in American public life, where the standard is very, very different. And the intention is to make people uncomfortable, to try and prove some point or whatever. So I, I think what we can do is we can, we can affirm certain, certain arguments and we actually gain credibility when we have to reject other arguments that are beyond the pale. I think we can affirm certain arguments here uh, but also, too, you know, like this Pride Month wardrobe lineup, clothing line that Target is going to be promoting and is probably already promoting with chest binders and packing underwear. Try this one on for size. If this were a very conservative Christian cult or church or what have you that was telling young women, to wear these chest packers because otherwise, what? Otherwise men might get the wrong idea. People might get the wrong idea. There would be a major and significant outcry. For that matter, do we, do we <laughs> need to be, as Christians, you know, put the LGBT crowd off to the side, the godless off to the side, do we need to be telling our young women that the outline, even just like the barest suggestion of the fact that they do have breasts is ungodly, wicked, irresponsible, and literally is to blame if a man looks at them and sees and is interested and is excited. Do we need to do that? I'm not convinced that we do. Now I say that, and the immediate reaction is going to be, oh, Garrett, oh, oh boy. But hear me out. It just so happens on both my side of the family and Lauren's side of the family, there are a great many who like period dramas. They like historical dramas. In particular, (laughs) especially, they like period dramas that are based on books by Jane Austen. 
<laughs> so, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know if I've seen a whole lot of Jane Austen period dramas where there's any kind of a fancy dress party, a ball, a dance that is attended by the eligible young ladies who have a mother who wants them to find a husband. Uh, I don't know of any that don't involve those eligible young ladies and the older ladies as well, wearing dresses that are off the shoulder uh, and or display some amount of cleavage. That was the fashion. Uh, It wasn't always the fashion. It ceased to be the fashion at a certain point for plenty of reasons. But I think first and foremost among those reasons was a countercultural, strict, religious uh, movement to reverse that, to reverse that trend. But the same... (laughs) The same crowd on my very, very conservative Christian side of the family and my wife's very, very conservative Christian side of the family, the same crowd that would be absolutely horrified and appalled if their daughters were ever to attempt, even to try, to leave the house wearing a low-cut blouse or a shirt that even just showed the barest hint of cleavage, the same crowd doesn't even bat an eye, to my knowledge, if Pride and Prejudice is on. <clears throat> Just saying. What's up with that? What What is up with that? Now, here, here, here would be the response. Well, we're not watching it for that. Well, exactly. Exactly. Which is proof positive that you don't necessarily have to be, right? And it's proof positive for that matter that a young lady when when and where that is the fashion doesn't necessarily have to be intending for that to be how she is related to, that is, in a lustful, sexually immoral way. But, you know, I look at this, I look at this chest binders and packing underwear featured in Target's new Pride Month collection headline, And I think to myself, there's something very, very twisted and perverse about wanting our young women to be indistinguishable from our young men. And for that matter, I mean, the the packing underwear thing, that's the other side of the coin. That is young men, just to be clear, sorry if this is, I'm sorry if this is overly graphic, but this is young men trying to wear underwear that smushes in the right place, to the right amount, to the right degree, to where they could wear women's pants. And nobody will be able to tell at a glance that uh, they're a dude. Well, we'll just, we'll put it that way. Is that, is that fair? For that matter, you know, most of even the most uh, unclothed tribes, primitive tribes in the world, at a minimum have the men and the women and the sometimes the children, depending on their age, wearing some kind of a loincloth. So I, I think at a bare minimum, that that's a must. But I don't think it's so good. <laughs> not only do I not think it's so good, actually, uh, 
lo and behold, we have God's work in Deuteronomy 22.5. And I quote, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So, that is to say, actually, <laughs> Target, your clothing line is an abomination to the Lord our God. It's an abomination. You are literally trying to do the very thing, the very damn thing. And I mean that literally. Damn, damn, damn this. It's an abomination and it is damnable. If nothing else is, these sorts of things that God says are an abomination to him are damnable. But you're literally trying to flatten girls' and women's chests so they look like dudes, and you're trying to flatten young men's crotches so that they look like girls, so they can all wear the same tights and, I don't know what, jumpsuits? Like, what's what's going to be the uniform of this brave new world? We all just wear androgynous jumpsuits. And and also, what's next, too? You know, are you you're going to start selling? And I say this, and it's oh, it's surely out there, but you're going to start having the young men wear pads on their hips so that their hips look like women's hips? Are you going to start having the young ladies wear pads on their waists so that it's not as obvious that they have women's hips? Now, where does it stop, right? Like, there, there has to be some kind of a line past which you say, okay, that's just not reasonable. In the Muslim world, they wear essentially robes to where there's there's no way you're going to distinguish at all anything of the form. And even to show ankle skin, wrist skin, that is going to incite the men to lust. Is that what we want? I don't want that. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that is what God requires. But it's it's so ironic to me. Like This is the new thing. The, the crowd that was anything goes, I think, is not coincidentally now trying to cover up distinction between the sexes. I think it's an overcompensation. I also think it's a effort at a kind of perverse purity, which will fail abysmally and entirely misses the point. And all that happens in the meantime is you are making a sexless society. And for what? Because... You're trying to get us to stop propagating the species. You're trying to, like, what, what, what's the end goal here? Real briefly, since I don't know when next I'm going to get another opportunity to talk about breasts and such uh, on the podcast. So uh, I'm just going to have to throw this in before we're out of time. But to to have a biblical mindset about these things, I think it is helpful for us to recognize that the scriptures do speak to this question, like Deuteronomy 22.5. Oh, does the Bible say anything about women dressing up like dudes and dudes trying to dress up like women? Does it say anything about that? Actually, yes, it's, it very specifically speaks about this. Does the Bible say anything about what we should wear and what we shouldn't wear and how we should dress and what our mindset and attitude should be? Yeah, First Peter 3, 2-5, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. Now, that doesn't mean you don't wear clothes. We're not all nudists just because true beauty comes from the inside, so it doesn't really matter at all. No, 
the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, please do display. And if that is your goal, I think that will cause you to take into consideration the people in your context, the culture, et cetera, et cetera. But consider this, Proverbs chapter five, starting verse 15. We could start all the way at the top, but we'll start at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Amen. Amen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This says right here, there is nothing untoward, wicked, ungodly, dirty, wrong, bad, sinful, carnal, about a husband, a husband being delighted <laughs> with his wife's breasts. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just like, it should go without saying, but it doesn't in all too many circles. And I am very conservative when it comes to my theology and the way I view social issues and what I think roles for men and women should be in the family and in the church and in society. I'm very conservative politically, but just so, precisely for that reason, I think it's worth pointing out that it is good that a man would be delighted with the breasts of his wife. So we have that for another passage. And the only thing I'm trying to get across here is that I think the chest binders thing is totally unnecessary. Uh, I think that very, very strict folks, conservative folks, uh, you know, might kind of not know what to do with whether to be like totally against that, honestly, because I think in some cases, like their idea of fashion is such that they don't think anyone, certainly men, uh, should ever even be remotely aware of the fact that women have breasts. Now, to my mind, to my way of thinking, there should be some kind of a moderate perspective and attitude on these things that, for one, prevents us from obsessing over them because they're being flaunted, and for another thing, <laughs> the other side of the same coin, prevents us from obsessing over them because we're in a craze about covering them up, quite honestly. I think intention is very important here. I think attitude is very important here. I think what Paul and Peter are writing about good works and whatnot is also very relevant here. Also, too, I think we need to be very careful that our solution to these problems is not androgyny. But I got to leave it there. That's all I've got for this episode. 
my wife's got a chiropractor's appointment here in just a little bit. And I'm going to go have a cup of coffee with her before she goes. Her birthday's tomorrow. Wish her a happy birthday, if you would. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.